0: Isn't it true that sometimes when we are um, working through a book of the Bible like this on a a Sunday evening, sometimes when we're working through it sort of sequentially, we get to portions of Scripture that we sort of look at and we sort of scratch our head and we think, how is this relevant to our lives? Sometimes we're working through books of the Bible and there's there's difficult things. things we've got to work really hard to see how they apply to us. Isn't that the case sometimes? Then... At other times, we work through a book of the Bible like this, and we come to a portion of Scripture that is immediately relevant to our lives. You know, a portion of Scripture we work through, we see it, and even on the first reading, it's like it kind of slaps us across the face. So relevant is it to our lives, to our circumstances, and to our church. Now, come on, surely... What Paul read earlier on about indwelling sin, surely that falls into the second category, doesn't it? I mean, Paul writes here about sexual immorality. He writes about lust. He writes about anger, wicked speech. Isn't this, I mean, instantaneously appropriate to to our lives? Look, let, let me ask you, let me say this straight off the bat, are there not things in your life just now? are there not things that you do and say and think that as someone who 's saved by the blood of, of Jesus Christ that these things are disgusting? Are there not things that, that you do and say and think that that, that haunt you? are there not things that, that if they were these things were out in the open? in church tonight up for discussion uh, that we wouldn't just be embarrassed by these things we would be entirely ashamed by them isn't that true? well it's that, this idea of struggling with sin that Paul now turns to in Colossians so let's see what he says please turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 have that opening of you Colossians chapter 3 from verse 5 Right, let's note firstly, the first of three things here. Let's note the severe measures that are anticipated. The severe measures anticipated. Now, here's my theory. You ready for my theory? My theory is that you can divide humanity into two groups. Okay? You've got those who do not like to write lists and you've got those who love... To write lists. Okay, there's your two groups. I'm in the first group. I'm not a big list writer. My wife, on the other hand, she loves to write lists. So, you know, there's lists on the fridge. You know, you go in a notebook in the house and there's lists there. She just got a new phone for most of us. You know, we're on the internet or there's a game or something. No, for her, a new phone is just a novel way of writing a list. My wife loves lists. Guess what? So does the Apostle Paul. Look what we've got in front of us here. We've got two lists. Now have a look at the text. You've got a list in verse 5. You've got a list in verse 8. And I think you could categorize these as lists of sex if you want. and, and, and the, Sorry, sins of sex and then sins of speech. Now what I want you to do is just look at the first list in verse 5. Have a, have a look at that. I want to read it to you. What have we got here? We've got sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. Now, we don't have time uh, to go through all of those things individually. I do not think that we need to go through those things individually just now, do we? I mean, you get the general idea. This is a list of, 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 of all sort of sexual immorality. In fact, this is a list of all sort of sexual activity Outside of healthy heterosexual marriage. That's what this is about. Now, what I want you to see though, is how ingenious the list is. See, if you're anything like me, on first reading of that list, you think, wait a minute, at the end Paul kind of loses his trail of thought and he kind of goes off on a tangent. You know? Because he's taught, look at the end there, he's talking about, okay, that one's about sex, that one's about sex, that one's about sex. What's the last one? Wait a minute, greed. You know, it seems like a bit of a tangent, doesn't it? It does. Ah, It does until we realize that that last one there is a summary statement of everything that's come before it. Do you see it? That this idea of greed, that really all sexual immorality is greed, isn't it? It is a desire for something we do not have. It is a desire for something we do not need. So it's a list about sex. Have a look at the second list, verse 8. So again, what you've got there, verse 8, you've got five sins that are listed. They're not about sex, though. Again, I'll read them, think about them. Anger, wrath, malice, slander obscene talk from your mouth. So, this isn't about sex. This is about speech. This is about how we relate to other people here. So, you're with me. We've got two two lists, and they are lists, we are told, that will lead to God, almighty God, coming in judgment over mankind. But what I want you to notice just now, is what we are supposed to do with this stuff. Like Paul, the Apostle Paul, is not like my wife. Like the Apostle Paul does not just seem to write lists for the sake of writing lists. So what does he want us to do with this stuff, with these two lists here? Friends, look at the first three words of verse 5. Look what stands over this section. Just look at in awe what he says about these things. All those things we're looking at, we are supposed to put those things to death. We are supposed to I mean, consider what that means. In fact, consider what Paul does not say about those things. I mean, he does not. God does not say to us tonight, "Okay, so you're not." Habit. And you are in a routine of sexual immorality. Well, don't worry about it. God doesn't say that to us tonight. It's not okay. So, so you're not as bad as you used to be when it comes to talking about people behind your back. Well, good on you. Paul does not see, see that. I mean, it's not okay. You're, you're allowed to keep on doing what you're doing because at least you're not doing this. It's none of that. Do you see what it is? It's put these things to death. What we've got here is a a call for the obliteration of sin in the Christian's life. This is a a call to completely annihilate any hint of lust, any hint of anger or, or wrath. Do you see it? This is not a call for us to be tolerant of these things. This is a call to war. Put to death. Now, here's the deal. There is a question, isn't there? I hope you're asking about this. If you're with me just now, surely there's a question you're asking. You see what Paul is saying. Are you not asking how? How? Do you, I want to put these things to death. I want to live for Jesus. How do? I, how do I do this? Well, I was watching a, a film recently. Um, it was a film about uh, the training of an assassin. So not the sort of thing that you watch with the kids. OK. And the film begun with, began with it began with the, the, the assassin as a child, and his dad was teaching him to shoot. So his dad took him into the forest and they were going to kill deer. And the first thing that the father said to the son was, be prepared. You're going to do this properly. If you're going to kill, be prepared. Make sure that the gun's clean, it's all set. Make sure you've got the bullets, everything ready. So be prepared. Make sure you're prepared. Second thing the father said to this budding assassin, (laughs) he said, watch that this was absolutely crucial. The undivided attention was paramount. If he was going to be successful at this, then he told the son, wait a minute, don't delay a second. You know, you see the deer. You know, don't faff about, shoot the deer, kill it. Now, do you see that that there is helpful for us in how we try and put to death the sins of the flesh? Look, there's <laughs> the assassin's routine is the same routine as we need to adopt. Do you see that? What do we need to do to put these sins to death? We need, as Christians, to be prepared. How? Listen to me. There needs to be an unprecedented increase in prayer. Like we need to lay a spiritual foundation for the battle that is ahead every single D. we need to be you need to be praying about these weaknesses and you need to be praying every day and i ask you i'm not talking up here i'm talking down here do you do that because you battle with this stuff sexual immorality speech you battle but are you praying are you actually waking up every day and pleading with God about these things and doing so specifically? Are you preparing for the day ahead. What else are we to do? What was the other thing? We're to watch. So you and I, as Christians, we're supposed to go through the through the whole day, and we're supposed to be constantly on our guard for any signs of or any hints of these temptations. You know, we're supposed to be looking for any sort of triggers of of, of problems with speech, of sexual immorality. We see these things. What do we do? We do what Jesus did in the wilderness. And when tempted, we go to Scripture. We recall scripture in our mind. We go physically to scripture. Now I wonder, I ask you, if you're sitting there and thinking, that sounds far-fetched, man. That sounds totally unfeasible in my situation and what I'm involved in. You thinking that? I'll say this to you. One, consider that Almighty God has brought you tonight to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, that God is saying to you tonight as a Christian, put these things to death. And then, second thing I would say to you, hold on to what Jesus says. Hold on to what our Lord says is the best way of combating temptation. Do you, know what, do you want to know what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 26? He's speaking to Peter. In the garden. And he says this. He says watch. And pray. That you may not enter into temptation. Watch. And pray. Friends let's do much much more of that this week. As we seek not in our own power. But as we seek in the power of God. To put to death. Whatever belongs to our earthly nature. We watch. We pray. Okay, so the severe measures anticipated. We are to put these things, to seek in the power of God to put these things to death. Secondly, let's notice here the serious change that is accomplished. So the severe measures, now the serious change accomplished. Okay, so what we've done there, what we're trying to do is cover from from verse 5 to verse 8. <laughs> then you get to verse 9 and the start of verse 9. And I read it and I thought, what an anti-climax. The start of verse 9. Because, you know, Paul's dealing with some serious themes here, isn't he? I mean, this idea of all this sort of sexual immorality and the way that we speak and relate to people. Then look at the start of verse 9. He says... Do not lie. That's really kind of specific, isn't it? I mean, it's, it seems anti-climactic. kind of climactic. But it seems like that until we realize that Paul isn't saying to the Colossian Christians there, make sure you tell the truth. It's not that sort of do not lie. What Paul is saying to the Colossian Christians, hear this, he is saying to them at this point, in this context pretend. And I think that is a word that we as a congregation need to hear tonight, loud and clear, isn't it? Because here's the deal. We are all sinners. And we are all struggling with what Paul is talking about here. And there does not need to be this gigantic elephant in the room. There doesn't need to be this thing that we don't talk about in this church, our indwelling sin. We don't need to come through the doors and be pretending it. You know, everything's tickety-boo with me. You know, everything's hunky-dory in my Christian life. We don't need to be like that. Because every single one of us is struggling with sin. Do you see what Paul's saying? Let's not pretend about this stuff. Do not lie. Do not lie to each other. Now, what Paul goes on to do in verse 9 is really sort of express or... What's that word? He he goes on to sort of couch this call for holiness in kind of different terms. Like, what he does in verse 9 is remind the Colossians... Of the great change that's occurred in their life in Christ. You know, that great, that great and incredible transformation in Jesus. So what does he mean? Well, one of our members, Ayesha Wood, uh, has recently returned from the Paris Fashion, was it Paris Fashion Week? Couture Week, is it? Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Well, I was going to say that that might sound quite impressive to you, Paris Fashion Week, but to me, it's uh, you know, that's kind of—I say, you know—I'm kind of. When it comes to these sorts of things, you know, I'm, I'm an expert when it comes to, to fashion and couture. I'll tell you why I'm an I'm an expert in these things. It was because at the age of seven years old, uh, I took part in the Littlewoods Fashion Extravaganza in in a church hall in Inverness High Street. So all this talk of Ralph and Russo and the Paris Fashion Week is just, that is nothing on me. I know what it is like uh, to be sort of backstage and have the stress and the pressure of having to change out of one costume and quickly get into the other before I go out and strut the stuff on the catwalk. Okay. See that idea? That this immediate change from one outfit into Another. That's what Paul's talking about. That's the metaphor that Paul used here to describe this change that you and I, as Christians, have gone through in Jesus Christ. Now, look at this. Think about the change in this, this idea of the fashion show. What is it that Paul says that we have taken off? What have we taken off in verse 9? He says we've taken off our old selves. Now, that's ringing bells, isn't it? Cause that's similar language to what he said in chapter 2, taking off the sinful nature, throwing it away in circumcision. You remember that? And do you see what he's saying there? He's saying that what we were, he's saying our old selves, that the old person, that the old man, he's, he's gone completely that what we were before we were saved has completely been done away with in Jesus Christ. It's completely and utterly gone. As Paul is going to go on to say in Romans, our old self, your old self, has been crucified with Christ. It's gone. That's what we've taken off. What does he say? We have put on. Think about the fashion show. What is he, What have we put on? Look at verse 10. We have put on the new self. You see what that means, do you? It means that in your salvation, we were not just altered. Okay? It means that when Christ saved us, that... Oh, It was much more than us being entirely changed. We say that a lot, but it was more than that. Do you see it? It means that in our salvation, we were made a a radically new being before God. New. And, and, And what does Paul say about this new being, this new person? Look at what he says. We are new and being renewed in knowledge. So we are new in our salvation, but we are also maturing in Jesus Christ. Look at this, it's more than that, he says, though. We are new and growing in knowledge of our Creator. And who is that in Colossians? Who is it that stands supreme in Colossians? It's the agent of creation, it's the ruler of creation. Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. Do you see what he's saying? He is saying, we were in Adam. We wore his rags. But that is gone. And now, we stand before God in the majestic, glorious, and righteous robes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the change? Do you see the transformation that is ours in Jesus? But I wonder, do you see what it is that Paul's doing? Like, if you're thinking this through, surely you're thinking, well, wait a minute, Paul. Why are you talking about this? Like, why? I get the idea of the change. We've been totally transformed. But why are you talking about this? In a situation where we're, where he's talking about battling our indwelling sin. How do those things work? Do you see what he's saying to the Colossians? He's saying to that young church. He's saying, look at the identity. The new identity you have in Jesus Christ. Now, there needs to be a new behavior that is worthy of that exalted status. He's saying, look... You can't. There can't be a simple continuation of the practices of the old self. Because the old self is gone. The old self is dead. Now we adorn the robes of royalty. So we, we're just not allowed to act and carry on as criminal. Friends, I just want to read you what Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah 61. He says this, My soul rejoices in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. And that's beautiful, isn't it? Do you know what's more beautiful? That is true of you tonight. That you are clothed in garments of salvation. That you are clothed in Jesus Christ. You are clothed in holiness. Surely, because of that there's a greater resolve amongst us tonight because of what Christ has done in clothing us in this transformation this change surely there's a greater resolve to tackle and to battle and to kill that indwelling sin so we see the serious measures and we see sorry the severe measures the serious change look thirdly and lastly, tonight, let's think about the sincere unity achieved. So I've embarrassed Aisha. I will now embarrass my parents. <laughs> uh, at home in Inverness, my parents have on their living room wall I've got a poster a picture framed uh, picture and it is off the French Declaration of the rights of men and citizens. Okay? Very grand. And you might know it. You might be familiar with it. It is, you know, one of the sort of foundational documents of the French Revolution. Okay? And it is awesome. You know, it is this wonderful eloquent statement of the rights of man, the rights, the qualities of man, the declaration of the rights of citizens. Now, I'm saying it's awesome. And it is. It's great. Great piece of writing. Hear this. It ain't nothing compared with what you've got in front of you in verse 11. Just have a look. Because this here in verse 11 is a peak. You know, it is a high point of the New Testament. Verse 11 there is right up there with uh, Galatians 3 and its promotion of the of the unity and the harmony of the people of God. Now, I want to just read it to you. You ready for a verse 11? Look at it. Here, there is no Greek or Jew. No circumcised or uncircumcised. No barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, nor free, but Christ is all, and Christ is in all. Now, come on. That is awesome. Now, I, I guess we get the idea, or we get the divide there was, between the Jew and the Greek in the ancient world, don't we? We know that these people did not like each other particularly. But who are the Scythians? Okay, who are the Scythians mentioned here? Well, for the Colossian and the Scythian, think the Scots and the English, okay? Because, see, these Scythian dudes, these were the sort of northern barbarians, you know? These were the sort of uneducated savages from the north, okay? You see, you see what Paul is saying here, though, do you? Do you see it? Paul is saying that before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, there is nothing that separates us. That all barriers of age and ethnicity and wealth... And all barriers of knowledge and language that they are all rendered null and void at the cross of Jesus Christ. But get this, that yes, individually, we are a new self in Christ, but that that also intended to be a corporate picture too. We are the new self in Jesus Christ as his church. And more than that, yes, we are changed and we wear robes in Jesus Christ. But in reality, we wear a uniform. You see it? We are all tonight dressed exactly the same in the Lord Jesus Christ before God. And see that uniform. See what we wear those robes, they could have been purple, couldn't they? Such as the royal status we have in Jesus. Those robes that we are before our God tonight, they could have been red, couldn't they? Such as all that blood that's been spilt by the Lord Jesus Christ for us. But what colour are we dressed in before God tonight? What colour are we dressed in? We're dressed in white. Such as the fruits. Such as the cleansing from sin that we have in Jesus Christ. But hang on a second. The same question keeps coming back, doesn't it? What are you doing, Paul? Why here? Why this talk of unity in amongst all of this talk of indwelling sin? Well, I think what we have here as we close is a great incentive for you and I this week fighting our habitual sin. Because what Paul is saying here is that the more we do that, the more we seek to put those sins to death, the more we will experience the love and unity of the body of Christ. So the more you and I this week seek to break all those habits, and all those routines of of sexual immorality, of awful speech, the closer we will be brought to each other in the Lord Jesus Christ. And is that not something that we want? Is this is this not a picture we want to have of ourselves? Hear this. Where the world looks on and they see us. And they see us growing ever closer together. The world looks on and they see a people, we are all dressed the same. And they look on and they see a people who as we increasingly seek to destroy sin, what happens? We also increasingly reflect the glory of God into that dark dying world. Is that not what you want? Is that not an incentive this week? To kill the sin in our lives, isn't it? We will be brought closer together and we will be honoring our God, the God who has saved us, the God who has, think about it, forgiven us for these things. And the God who has clothed us in those garments of salvation. (laughs) Let's pray.